Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. You want to get in shape, you want to be strong, you want to be healthy, you probably join a gym. Could that be the worst decision you have ever made? Well, we're going to find out more about that and many other things on today's episode of the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting with the feet first, because that is your foundation. We're going to debunk the myths and the propaganda and sometimes the outright lies that people tell you about what it takes to dance, to walk, to hike, to move, to lift, whatever it is that you like to do, enjoyably, effectively, and happily for now until the rest of your life, however long that happens to be. Anyway, I'm Stephen Sashen, the host of the Movement Movement Podcast and the CEO of ZeroShoes.com. You pretty much know the drill. Like, share, subscribe, click the bell if you're on YouTube. If you're watching us, that's cool. Come to jointhemovementmovement.com. If you want to find out more about where you can interact with us and leave your comments and your questions. In fact, if you have any questions, drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com. And when I say movement, movement, it's because we are creating a movement about natural movement. And that means that you are involved. This is a grassroots groundswell thing. We're trying to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food currently is. And that's going to involve all of you people who are participating in this. So thanks for being here. As I like to say, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe and you know how to do all of that. Anyway, I'm here with, uh, I'm going to say a dear friend, even though we haven't seen each other in nine years until right now, uh, but when we met, we really hit it off and it's you know one of those crazy things where we're just bumping into each other. And I'm not even going to do an intro for you, Erwan, because you'll say more interesting things than I do and everything you'll say is going to come with that super awesome accent. So why don't you tell people who the hell you are and why the hell you're here? Because I can't think of anyone more appropriate for talking about natural movement than someone who literally owns natural movement. <laughs> I'm going to be, uh, it's going to be challenging to be as good as uh, <laughs> at, at expressing yourself as you are, my friend. It's not a competition. <laughs> um, all right. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Erwan, Erwan Lecor, that's the way you say it in French. Erwan oh, how do, wait, how do, American, how do Americans say it with their horrible accent? Erwan Lecor. Erwan Lecor. Okay. Um, which, which is totally fine with me. I'm, I'm, I'm not an American citizen. I've been living in the U.S. for 10 years. Happily, very happily, by the way. But I, I did, uh, I was born in, in France and grew up there. And then I've traveled, uh, I've worked in China. I've been in Brazil. I've been to many countries. About 15 years ago, I made the decision that what I had learned through a number of experiences in my, in my life, I was going to turn it into a system that would benefit people. And um, I designed a method for natural movement called MoveNet, M-O-V-N-A-T. So MoveNet is a, it's a school of, uh, of real-world physical capability. So basically you train to be capable to use your body, to operate your body in many diverse, useful, directly, you know, tangibly useful ways. So that's what, that's what I do. I live in a little village up in the mountains of New Mexico at 8,500 elevation, with my beautiful wife and my beautiful three children, Feather, Eagle, and Sky, since my wife is an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation, and so are my kids. So they proudly, you know, have those names that are reminiscent of their, you know, Native Indian origins. 
what else can I say? Uh, I, mean, I, I just love that you have, uh, that, that your children have those names legitimately, that they didn't change their name after, you know, they moved to Boulder and started doing yoga. I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, they're free to change whatever they want about who they are. When they, <laughs> They'll get uh, old enough. They're going to change their names to, you know, Scott, Michelle. Uh, no, I mean, It'll all be Brit. They'll all be Britneys. You know, look. It, what matters if you love your name or if you're proud of your name. But for now, they didn't really have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> you gave them a good start. Them, but they love their name. That's the thing. Is that those are good names? Of them love their name. Very proud of their names, and that's my, a good thing. Proud of my name. My wife's nieces and nephews are Birch, Winter, and Meadow. It's beautiful. And, and they, they really fit those names. So anyway, but enough about names. So before we jump into everything, everything, I'll always love to start with giving people some opportunity to, to learn something, to do something, to move in some way. Can you think of something that you would want to share with the human beings who are watching and or listening from you know, anything you can think of, some movement, something or other? I have no boundaries on this. Well, sure, very easy. Right now, so I'm, I'm, I'm against an adobe wall because I live in a very old house, old for the United States at least. So, and I am leaning against the wall, so I have uh, support for my, for my spine. But here's the thing, I'm, I'm in a, some kind of a hybrid position between a, uh, a squat mm-hmm. and a position. Now, I'm using a laptop, so I can, right now I'm going to hold my laptop and, you know, I can, I can change the position. Yeah. So, which is great because most people today work from laptops. So if you are uh, watching this from home, if you have you know, tablet in your hands or phone or laptop, you can then easily change that position. And then you can, you can decide to go into a squat or to go into a different sit, sit position. So let's see what, what would happen if I show this a little, as you can see, I'm, I'm sitting here. So change your sit position. If you sit on the chair, go down to floor level. Once you're on floor level, you have plenty of opportunities diverse sit positions you could also then transition to a squat and then you could also kneel if you want so right there changing the the static idea that you are supposed to be physically idle and physically static the moment you are what looking at the screen so just get some movement right there i love it you know what's cracking me up is so Lane and I, we, we work long and hard hours. And so our schedule is sort of like roll out of bed, do some work, cut, well, a lot of work, come home, make some dinner, sit in front of the television to relax and you know, watch TV for a bit and then repeat. But the thing that I do most of the time, I sit in front of the couch on the floor the way you're sitting right now, or then I'll be cross-legged, or then I'm basically just sh- shifting all the time, even while I'm just taking some time off and resting. And one of the things that, I, that, that cracks me up is every night when I do this, and I squat a lot as well when I do it. But I think when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone who ever did this. My parents never did. I never heard of people doing this. It was no one had a relationship to the floor. And so I love this whole idea of just have a relationship to the floor and how your body can interact with the floor with all those myriad things you can do. And just for you to know, uh, I started this lifestyle when I was 19. I was back then following a kind of very uh, maverick a guy he was so i was 19 he was 48 but he taught me a number of things and uh basically i followed him in, in this lifestyle practice which involved no furniture in the house we uh, would when i say we it wasn't it wasn't a commune or anything like that everybody had their own place in their own life but uh we was like a little group and we would you know be sharing the, that that lifestyle great support system and um then um so i was sleeping on blankets folded blankets 
I didn't have a single piece of furniture in my house or TV, which because none of that was necessary. I was doing a day-to-day breathing exercise. We were eating back then vegetarian, organic. We were going doing all kinds of trainings barefoot. We were doing cold immersions. So that's before the internet, right? That's yeah, before yeah. your phone and you can, you know, post every aspect of your life on some social media account, you know. So I was doing that already. And um, when I started to to teach natural movement, by the way, um, back then nobody talked about nobody talked about talked sorry about natural movement. Yeah, um, it was a concept that was it was people were asking me if it was yoga or tai chi. They had no concept whatsoever. So in the way that people understand it today, it's because I've been teaching it and uh, talking about it in numerous interviews, magazines, articles, and already when I was teaching MoveNet workshops uh, back say in brazil or in west virginia in 2009 and people were asking me so how do i implement that in my life i'm like well to begin with it's not just the training that you do uh say three times a week it's also all the movements that you do on a day-to-day basis and you have so many avenues for that you can brush your teeth in a squat position or eat in a squat position and so i was really inspiring people to add tons of simple natural movements. You know, not those that you train, not, right. not, not that you have to train because they're technical, like jumping and landing, hanging and climbing, but those that you should be doing every day, like squatting, kneeling, getting up, getting down, with your hands, with no hands, all of those, they are easily ignored. And I wrote a whole book about it, and they're all in the book. Well, around that same time is when, and I, I know you're going to have, I know what your opinion is going to be about this. So I'm looking forward to asking you this question. This is about the time that quote functional fitness started to become a thing. I didn't even ask the question, but I knew that was going to be your reaction. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, say, say more about functional fitness, Erwan. There, there, there are so many terms, you know, there are so many terms, you know, in that idea of uh, living healthy or moving well and and this and that and uh, I don't blame people for coming up with terms that are going to become hashtags or you know like biohacking rewilding uh, functional this and functional that but let's Move, let's back up so my observation is that it is not it doesn't mean nothing it's, well it, 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 my joke is my joke is it's really functional I mean so for people who don't know the gist of it is that the people who came up with it were saying when you go to the when you go to a gym you know you're lifting weights you're doing a bench press it's just some linear thing we're just pushing up and down you're doing curls you're just bending your arms that's not what you do on a daily basis where you're you know you're if you're lifting something it's a different motion if you're climbing it's a different motion and what they did is just came up with different machines mostly or different activities that are that are barely more functional than just what you get in the gym and they made arguments like that if you're doing functional fitness, you're working on stabilizer muscles and smaller muscles and somehow that makes you stronger when the evidence is that, you know, completely not true. But it's, but like you said, it is an amazing marketing term that people do respond to because it does seem to make sense. And like you said, and we agree, the idea of natural movement is even better in that regard. The one thing that natural movement doesn't have that functional fitness does is it doesn't imply a program where you go and get some desired benefit like losing weight. Oh, it does. Oh, I know that it does, but the, but the phrase doesn't, com- doesn't communicate that in the same way that no. functional fit. No, that's not the emphasis. Uh, that's not the right, emphasis. Of course. You shouldn't be moving because you want to lose weight. That's, um, 
No, no, that's my point. My point is simply that, you know, functional fitness is a great marketing term because it does imply those things that people want from just going to the gym, but it's not actually delivering what you're talking about, which is actually being a functioning human being who can actually do those functional things that in functional fitness training, you don't really get. So, you know, look, functional training, it's, it, it starts from the theory. My work does not stem from the theory. It's, it stems from nature. It stems from experience and observation. It stems from the real world practical applications. Functional fitness stems from theory. So you look at the theory, you'd be like, okay, what are the basic universal movement patterns? And you have pushing, pulling, twisting, lunging, all these right. things. Pushing what? With right. what? Pulling what with what? Okay. So if I do this with my finger, I'm pushing. And if I do this with my finger, I'm pulling. Is that what you mean? Is functional fitness? That doesn't mean anything. It's well, no, so you, have to be, you have to be able to do it with your other fingers too. Because divorced from the original context where natural movement is uh, or movement is normally done and where it was shaped by such a long history of people moving in nature. So you can do lunging, you can do pushing or, or and again, pushing with your arms, pushing with your head, pushing or pulling with your feet. What, what do you mean exactly? It is divorced from context. What is it that you are trying to do that is actually practical? Explain to me because I have to scratch my head. Why are you pulling? Are you pulling because you're climbing? Are you pulling because you are fighting, grappling? What are you doing? And there is something that is extremely confusing about doing movements that are completely divorced from right. the original meaning. When I have my people jump over an obstacle or balance on top of it or crawl under it, the reason, the practical reason why they're doing this movement is instant. Mm -hmm. Instant. Nobody has got to scratch their head why this movement is good for. Well, this movement is good for passing that obstacle, performing that practical task. No question asked. When you do a functional fitness drill, you still have to scratch your head as of why, is this, what am why, I doing this for? why what situation, what, what context could that be, be used to? If you have to ask yourself what's the application of any given drill or movement, it's very likely that it's not practical in the first place. So right. functional look, what does that mean? Uh, if you do bodybuilding, you are using your body functionally. You got to have function in your body to do bodybuilding, yoga, dance, whatever the movement is. So functional movement doesn't mean anything. Right. It's just like movement culture. It doesn't mean anything because yeah. if I play ping pong, that's movement culture. If I play badminton or if I play darts, that's movement culture. Then if I do bodybuilding, that should be part of of movement culture, who are you to say that a bodybuilder is not doing some form of movement yeah. and using the body to do that movement? So if all I'm doing is skateboarding and I call that, I'm part of a movement culture, okay, great. All you mean is that you're having some kind of movement activity so you're not fully physically idle on a day-to-day -day basis like most people today. Okay, wow, that's enlightening, but that doesn't take you anywhere to me that's really relevant. So when people, I love the example you gave of, of dealing with an obstacle and climbing over it or jumping over it or going under it or doing all the various things you could do with it. I want to come back to the thing I'm going to say now, and I'm going to say it now just so I don't forget. And that is, I'd love you to give more examples of some of the things that people do and learn to do when they're doing MoveNet workshops. But here's the question I want to ask first, and I'll have to frame it this way. So I'm a former all-American gymnast. And as a gymnast, I spent a lot of time doing things upside down or in the air or, you know, in unusual positions. And 
gymnasts are the only people that I know who will say something like, hold on, I've got to get upside down for a few minutes. There's just something you <laughs> earn from being upside down that, you know, you do or, or gymnasts deal with obstacles in certain ways because we've dealt Absolutely. with it in different yeah. ways. My, what I'm curious about is when people do move net or they work with you in some way, what have you heard about how they then literally just deal with simple physical things or how it changes their relationship with the objects they encounter in the world on a daily basis? And what, are, what does that look like? Well, that is the entire, the entire goal of, well, at least the primary goal, because there's a difference between goals and benefits. We're talking about weight loss. You may experience weight loss if you train physically, uh, though it's not no guarantee because there are so many other aspects of your lifestyle that are involved in losing weight or not losing weight or gaining weight, not gaining weight. And what kind of weight, by the way? Yeah. Uh, so uh, this being said, the primary goal, uh, we're not talking about the the other benefits of moving that practice is to give you the real world physical capability that you've never developed in the first place. And how do I know that you've never developed it in the first place? Just because I've never met anybody who had that overall capability that isn't trying to move that except for to some extent. And I'm not saying they don't exist. They're just very rare. That could be some people in the military. That can be some people that are firefighters. That can be some people who are like real mavericks and who train a certain specific way. But usually people are either physically idle or they have some kind of activity that's just one activity, so it means that they're specialized. You right. go to the gym to get bigger muscles, for instance, or just to stay in shape, to get some kind of general strength. That's awesome, by the way. When I was talking about functional fitness or movement culture, I was in, not in any way saying anything. I was talking about the terms themselves and how I don't agree because the terms are very misleading or confusing and vague. I'm not talking about whatever a person does in their life to improve improve their quality of life, to be physically active, that's beautiful. Regardless of what you do, I think that's beautiful. So I, I hope that nobody took it personally uh, because some people may identify as, as a functional fitness expert or student. Agreed. And, and another person as part of a movement culture, and that's beautiful. I'm just saying those terms, don't. I don't like them. That's it. That's my, my thing, and, you know, it's whoever thinks different, it's whatever. But I, I, I think that when people move in their life, this is a beautiful thing. When we try and move that, what we teach people is to be to have practical abilities to do whatever is necessary that's like really directly useful and, and tangible in their lives. And that's not just in the day-to-day situations. That, that could be to be prepared for situations that, ne- that may never occur in your life. So let's talk about a day-to-day one first. So yeah. what are some things that, you know, that, you, that either you've seen or you've heard or that you train for that changes for people or their relationship to movement changes or their relationship to objects change as a result of doing the training or being introduced to the training? Uh, so much just... I mean, let, here, I, I, I'll I, give I, you I, one example. Okay, I'll great. give you one example. Most people can't even deep squat. Right. They cannot assume the position at all. Like they fall off balance. We've had support... They fall off balance. So to give a person that simple ability, simple yet so uh, critical to health, because if you're not, and and that's functional, right? That's function. Except that function, we're not going to recover it through functional drills. We're going to recover it through natural movement drills. And when you hear natural, that's simply the way that you're supposed to behave physically 
on a day-to-day basis. So I'll give you an example. I'm gonna just uh, move my, my laptop here and you, I'm gonna change this. And you should be, for instance, seeing here that I'm in a sit position, right? So here, I'll describe for people. So you're sitting with your back against the wall. Now you have yeah. one leg that's, you know, that you, one leg extended, one leg up by your hips. Right. Now you've got both legs up by your hips. So yeah, these are all very variations of squat patterns. Okay. So if you try and move that, if you try natural movement, if you practice it, you may be able to recover, for instance, the ability to go like this and get back to a deep squat. And right. then to and go, yes. Yep. And like that. So again, to go from, to go from sitting on the floor to standing, but going through a squat without having to use your hands, for example, which is right. what you're pointing out. Very natural thing. You go to many parts of the world. This is what people do on a daily basis. Exactly. In America, definitely not. You know, like I said, I've never, I never saw adults doing anything remotely like this. My dad actually used to show off. He used to, it was, it was one of his things that he, he loved to show off that even into his seventies, he could sit on the ground and then put his legs in a lotus position. He was just flexible in that way. And he just loved that he could do that. He couldn't do anything else. <laughs> he could do that one. <laughs> so that's great. But you want to have a full scope. Exactly. There was a scientific study from Brazil. And not that I feel the need to constantly come up with, hey, there's a study that substantiates, you know, what I, yeah. what I do. Fortunately, our ancestors never needed any kind of science to be actually healthy and strong and resilient and just, you know, to, to be able to be fit in the full sense of the word. Of the word. But that, that um, study showed that people who had an ability to, from standing, get to the ground and back up without using their hands or elbows or knees. So clearly, greater mobility and greater you know, real function. Yeah. Had the natural movement ability to do that kind of, of get up had a significantly greater life ex- expectancy than others. I've seen that one. Um, we, it, you know that people, you know, in hospital, you, you has been studied made where you, you assess how much grip strength people mm-hmm. have, patients have in a hospital. Those who have greater grip strength will leave the hospital much faster than those who don't. And and by the way, millennials today have not only they can't deep squat, but in, this is a generality, all right, because there are still some healthy people. But generally speaking, the physical state and physical abilities of young people today compared to other generations just like that, they have no grip strength. I just want to finish on that point, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Why on earth would it have a great life expectancy if you're not strong? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have, if you have lower, like significantly lower function, you may not see yourself as, or you're a problem deep squatting or doing that kind of no hand get up as a, as a health issue, but actually it is a health issue. There's yes. something about health that is already lowered and you want to reclaim that. That's what we teach. There's a uh, woman at Duke University. I think she's a nurse who's been doing research that shows and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I met her a few years ago, that showed if your walking speed gets under a certain level, it's a high predictor that you will die within 10 years. And it's not obviously for people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, but it, but it, was, it was something like you know, people in their 70s where walking speed was a very strong correlative factor with longevity, with life expectancy. And right. of course, it's not the idea that is, was not specifically that you want to increase someone's walking speed, although that does help. It's that whatever's going on that's making it so they can't walk is the problem. And if you can address that, 
through by you know starting with walking speed, you're going to address some of those other factors. But boy, you reminded me of something else. This morning when I was driving to work, I drove by a local high school and I saw the kids who were doing their physical fitness part of their class. I, I mean, you, there's no way you'd be able to guess what they were doing. So I will tell you, they were strolling very, very slowly for about a half a mile on a sidewalk. That's their entire physical fitness program at this high school. It was amazing. I've seen it before, but I mean, I was literally reminded of it this morning when I saw it. That's all they do. In fact, sometimes when I'm out on the track training, when I used to train during the week in particular, they would come out and their entire physical fitness program was walking for a half a mile around the track, two laps of the track, like while they're just chatting, hanging out, strolling, you know, that was it. It's like, wow. And uh, I know it's, um, it's extremely alarming. I, I, it, it is. I'm, I'm also curious about, you know, for some reason, well, again, because of my, my own history, but I'm also curious just about the way we interact with our environment. So when I thought about the practical, not practical applications, but practical examples of what happens when people start moving differently, I thought about how I get in and out of things like beds and couches, which is often jumping or rolling either onto them or off of them. And if people haven't had that experience, they don't know that that's an option let alone how fun it is to do that. <laughs> or wait, I'm trying to remember where I was. Oh my God, I know. I was, uh, I was in a, a store uh, was it, where like a Sears or something and they had mattresses. And so what I was doing is I was but, running. But, yeah. Steve, you, you have a, you, oh, sorry. I finished the no, story. That's okay. Well, I was running towards them. And basically what I would do to test the mattresses is I would do, do a dive roll and land on the mattress and then bounce off <laughs> and, you know, and go to the next one. And, and, and um, some of the salespeople said, hey, you can't do that here. I said, hey, I have to test the mattress to see if it'll work for what I do on a daily basis. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. You know, you have a youth to you that is both the mindset. And if you have the mindset, then you will have the physical behavior, the movement behavior that that's aligned. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think I think, I think it goes both ways because if you don't know that that movement is possible for you to do, it would never occur to you. And the movement happens to be, you know, quote, young or, or playful or whatever it is. But, uh, but I'm curious just about that. But of course, the extreme version of what I'm describing is now free running and parkour. It's a beautiful thing. It's uh, amazing. It's amazing. You know, it's a beautiful thing. But again, usually when you, like emerging trends. Yeah. That's it. Things are changing. <laughs> right. Mm, no, they're not. Emerging That's trends like that are exactly the sign that, generally speaking, things are going the other way. Mm. And because young, young people today realize that maybe they're 15 and they're like, oh, my God, all I've been doing until this, this time is gaming on the couch. You right. know, being on my smartphone, on my iPad, whatever it is, watching TV, being indoors. I'm going to be an adult soon. And some of them have a kind of wake-up call where they're like, I need to be capable. I need to be strong. What am I going to do? If I, you know, running is running is going to be boring. Uh, I'm not into any specific sports. You know, they may have all kind of, um, but then parkour. It's, it's it's a freedom and it looks cool and I can be popular maybe um, anti corporate yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna behave like all the superheroes uh, that have that I've watched in all the movies and video games that I've been playing with they all do those crazy movements how about I could do it too it's look it doesn't matter what your motivation is it's great that that trend exists 
a lot of people who do parkour come and train with us. Uh, and the reason is not only because we have a, actually a method that's really detailed and effective. So a method for teaching all these movements, but we also have a more complete range of movements right. that, we teach, that we have people practice. It's interesting that, that I'm trying to think of how to frame this. There's a, it's, be, it's becoming more and more popular to watch people do more and more extreme physical things. So I'm thinking like American Ninja Warrior, where, you know, hugely popular show, watching a very small number of people doing very insane stuff. And it just makes me think about, you know, what can we do to make, to, to bridge that gap? to help people become more active, not because, not because it's a prescription, not because it's going to, not because we want to tell them they should, because it's good for them, but to give people the experience of the fun and pleasure of that. And the, if you want to say the rightness of it, I mean, just again, not just to, so that there's not this big gap between sitting on the couch and being an American Ninja warrior. It's an extremely important, very good and very, very uh, important point that you're making. When you look at, performances in any specialized sports because for anyone to have the ability to perform at a really high level in any discipline you've got to be hyper specialized yeah you had to do that so you look at say you go on youtube or you go on one um, uh, on tv or, or on, on uh, social media and you see amazing parkour you see amazing acrobatics you see amazing rock climbing you see amazing whatever you're into spear fishing amazing hula hoop whatever yeah okay you you have people movement of some sort you have people who have both incredible innate talent because that's a that's that's a fact people are just naturally talented and then you also have total dedication to just being great at what they do and yeah. so become that. The value of this is to show you what specialization and dedication can enable some people to achieve. And it can be very inspiring to others to watch and be like, I may never be able to do that, but I'm going to try. Right. But the problem with that also is that it leaves people, a lot of people disheartened. Yeah. Because they're like, I can't even do that. I can't even, I won't even try. There's no way on earth that I'll ever be able to do that. This is where my, my uh, where I position what I do. I'm an educator at heart. If some people are able of elite physical performance, beautiful, good for them. But that's not the case of most people. Right. And what most people need is not to be seeking elite level performance is just to have an overall physical competency and capability that is going to last a long time mm -hmm. that is not difficult or too difficult to acquire that is not too difficult to maintain and that can be maintained a long time while also having fun enjoyment in doing it that is movement because the movement you do from crawling to balancing to some running, jumping and landing, hanging, climbing, lifting and carrying, throwing, catching, all of that, are just movement number one that you are designed to do. Mm -hmm. So it comes naturally to your body. What we teach is to be efficient at those movements. 
to be efficient technically at each of those techniques, to teach you techniques that you may not know or that you didn't know you could do that movement that way or more efficient, number one. And then to also have an efficient practice, to just not be a jackass, try to go in the woods, try out some stuff and maybe, you know, twist a, an ankle and come back and be like, I'm too, I'm too old, I'm already 25. I'm, I'm, having this, I'm having this fantasy thought right now that what would it be like if, what is that? Oh, it's really cool. You think of something that doesn't exist and you imagine that it does. You should try it sometime. So here's my fantasy thought. My fantasy thought, or this, this is just one of them, is that in the same way that we have, as people go, through, children go through the educational process, we expect them to develop a certain amount of competency in a number of different things, many of which they will never use again, either because they're not practically used or because it's not their own interest. So for example, I had to learn some things about history. History is just not my thing for whatever reason. That's not where my brain goes. I don't organize things in that way. But you know, I understand how history works. I get how things relate to each other. Anyway, what would it be like if there, if part of the curriculum had a, what's the word? you know, some core competency with certain kinds of movements. Everybody, you can't graduate high school unless you can do a cartwheel, unless you know how to roll, unless you can, you know, something where, I mean, if we identify like, like a dozen, sim, uh, you know, what are, the, what are the dozen simple movements that everyone should be able to demonstrate that they know how to do? I mean, what, boy, that would be incredible. Yeah, that would be incredible. But at the same time, public schools are not, I said it was a fantasy. They are not designed. Okay, <laughs> so I'm coming back to reality. So let's keep the fantasy alive. Yeah. So in that fantasy that I'm now entering in my own mind, people would actually be exuberant with their movements. They would have some form of movement every day, and that it is. And you find the ones that work for you. Yeah, I mean, parents, look, my kids don't go to um, their homeschool. Right. right. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me say this. What a shock. <laughs> so you should see how my kids move. Yeah. No instruction, but they are, they have example every day yeah. and they mimic that example. So one is amazing at climbing. The other one is amazing at running. The other one is amazing at jumping. Like, like wow, little body, like five years old, like massive jumps, perfect landings. <laughs> I never taught him anything, but he's seen me do it. Right. My kids of my, of my, uh, have seen me or my wife do it better than that. They were onto our bodies as we were doing those movements. Oh, interesting. They never used a stroller, ever. Never owned one, ever. Mm. You can imagine, and, and um, you know, so you can imagine you go anywhere and we've traveled and uh, we do, you know, we go there and there. When babies are babies, you don't have a stroller. They're on you. They're either on your wife or on, on, your, on, on me, on, on the husband, right? Mm -hmm. What that means is that they have imprinted the movement patterns and experienced right. movement patterns of other parents that it is crawling, running, climbing, jumping, have jumped with, like holding my kids, not anything dangerous, of course, but just the, the sensation. You know, when you jump, yeah. all yeah. of a sudden you feel airborne. You're like, like a, a little like when you're in an elevator and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you land. When a baby is held, he feels exactly the same. He's like, mm -hmm. why, why is that? But he can also see. So kids could see and they could feel those movement patterns. 
no wonder they want to replicate them also because it's the example they have in front of them every day. So do you think that I need, uh, do you have any expectation from the public system to make my kids healthy or physically capable? Absolutely not, because I know that it's just not happening. Yeah. It's happening. PE programs in schools are extremely poorly designed, and this is not saying anything about the actually knowledgeable and dedicated PE teachers that, that there is all over the country or the world. It is to say something absolutely negative about the intentions behind the people who design who designed the programs, and they right. have just complete mission. Uh, it's not enough to say that they don't know what physical education is. They just don't give a crap about it. They don't care that. I think every, it's worse. Stephen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to finish on that. Yeah, sorry. Most people who are in charge, it's not only that they don't yeah. give a crap that people are going to be healthy or not. They want them to not be healthy. Otherwise, there would be solutions. Every year, mm. yeah, that's conspiracy theory if you want. Every year, you know, like when you hear that Google right now is diminishing the traffic by half of any alternative health website. Mm, I'm not sure about that. Yes, it's happening because they're dealing with corporations that have something to sell. Uh, it's not, it's, uh, well, that's yeah. a whole different thing. Just, just, ver- just, just verify, just check it out. It's happening. So what I want to say back okay. to uh, physical education, every year millions of kids leave school with zero, having acquired zero physical capability so right. they're not dedicated with the body all right right so what would happen if the same millions of, of kids every year would would be to be leaving school without knowing how to read and write uh, agreed i totally agree and you know it's funny i'm thinking like when i was when i was a kid we had a thing that was called the presidential physical fitness test or something like that and there was a, some number of activities maybe 10 activities and depending on how you did in each of these activities, you got different levels of some sort of award. And there, there are things about it that I totally loved. One was, uh, I'm a sprinter by trade. I mean, that's what I do. And one of the events was a 600-yard run. And I think you had to do it in like, I don't know, two minutes, something, or maybe 2.30, whatever it was. It was some time that frankly was not a really fast time. I could barely make it because I just didn't, I don't do, you know, 400 meters is a long run for me. I don't do it. So 600 yards, you know, that was crazy. There was also a woman named Joy Abramson. I hope I'm not embarrassing Joy to say this. I shouldn't have used her name, but there it is. There was a woman, she was one of the women who she matured faster than anybody else. So she in sixth grade was, you know, already like an adult sized person and couldn't run that 600 yards either. The thing with Joy, she went really, really slow and she just didn't like it at all, it seemed. And she always had her head down. But at the end of the race, everybody would finish. And after we figured out our times, we'd all turn to Joy and go, how much money did you find? Because she always found money uh, running around this particular course, which is great. But I think about this, like this curriculum of these fundamental movements that everyone should have to know, demonstrate that they could do. And there's invariably going to be things that no matter what size you are, what shape you are, what weight you are, what strength you are, these are things that you can do. And some you'll do better than others. Some you'll like more than others. And I just, but boy, I'm just enjoying this idea of what it would it be like to your point. What would it be like if everyone did walk out and had this core competency and how would that change the educational system all along if we weren't expecting people to just sit all day, every day? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful fantasy, and it's also actually it's actually also true because, for instance, study was 
scientific study was uh, made using two natural movements. Mm. So the people researching it said, hey, we're using the MoveNet method. So people are doing, some people will be climbing around a tree, like hanging, and, and then they will also do some balancing. Okay. On some kind of, uh, you know, just balancing surface. That uh, was first group. And the other group would be doing yoga. Okay. Third group would be doing nothing. And then they would be their working memory would be tested before and after. Mm. So before doing natural movement, after doing natural movement, before doing yoga, after yoga. Yeah, before doing nothing, after doing nothing. Mm-hmm. What's working memory? So working memory is actually much more important than IQ in determining, forgive my funky French accent, how you process, how fast, how well you process information. So basically people who have a high IQ may be very smart in that way of solving very abstract problems, but not necessarily situationally. Okay. So with working memory, you're much better being situational about how you process information. And I'm not a scientist in that regard, so I hope that I, I give a, a you know decent explanation of what working memory is. But in any case, it's a very important aspect of cognition. So the point was to determine if there was any benefit to doing nothing or doing yoga or doing uh, natural movement. The people who did nothing, as you would expect, scored the same. Right. No difference. The people who did yoga, as you may not expect, scored the same. (laughs) Interesting. The people who did natural movement scored much higher. I have a theory about why. Do you? Oh, yeah, I know. And actually, I've already said it before science uh, determined it. It's not that I'm particularly smart and it's not that I'm a scientist. I just like to observe things. When you know that the brain, the reason for having a brain is to be able to move. It's not just doing any movement because yoga is movement, clearly, or tai chi. It's for locomotion that is adaptable, adaptable to complex environments which is movement, natural movement in nature. So you're going to go through the forest. Uh, surface is going to be slippery and stable and predictable. And through that, you are in one location, point A, and you look at point B, that's where you want to be. And your, your brain is already a fortune teller determining how you're going to navigate so you get there. Yeah. It's extremely brilliant. Today, even like uh, robotics can't achieve the same exactly. So... That's the number one reason why we have a brain. So if you are that little animal that has like one or two neurons, I don't remember, and you're basically, you start as an animal, you're moving through the ocean, and then all of a sudden you decide to settle for the muscle life. You stick on the rock and you become not a shell, you become a plant. You become <laughs> some kind of seaweed, and the first thing that they do, so they're a born animal and they die vegetal. The first thing they do as they switch to the the vegetal life is to dissolve their mini brain. Hmm. Why? Because it has become useless. Why? Because they don't need to navigate their body with locomotion through complex environments. So adaptability of locomotion is the number one reason why we have a brain. Hmm. Not a body, but a brain, not for abstract thinking, not for discussing the history of art and uh, fine wines and things like that. It's beautiful, but that's not the the, the primary reason. So 
it would make perfect sense that if you're going to do the movements that are adaptable, that your very brain is originally designed to take care of, that is going, going to boost cognition. It's going to boost brain function. Right. And you don't have a brain for movement and the brain for the rest of your activities. It's the same person. It's the same brain. It's the same cognition. So if you boost your cognition, regardless of why and how, then it's going to carry over areas of recognition that have nothing to do with movement, such as abstract thinking. Yoga won't do it. Why? Because in yoga, you do not adapt to the environment. Mm. As a matter of fact, mm. you reject it. <laughs> you don't want branches and sticks and uh, rocky, funky stuff in the way because that could destabilize you. Because you look, when you do yoga, you can close your eyes and you, because you think, okay, I'm more mindful. Okay, that's the point. Which of the two is more mindful? Is it to close your eyes and to do movement only on the spot Mm-hmm. So you don't have to adapt to anything. Nothing is bothering you, right? And on top of that, you're replicating exact same movements that you replicate all the time. Or would it be to actually keep your eyes and all your senses open and to be extremely sharp and alert and responsive to all the, the information you get from a changing environment as you move? Right. Tell me which one requires the more mindfulness. That's right. It's natural movement. And this is why you gain more uh, benefits in working memory and so many other aspects of cognition, actually, that have not been proven yet. If you do natural movement, then if you do yoga. And this is not to say anything negative about yoga. It's just an observation. Different thing. Yoga is beautiful, but it's not what people think in terms of benefits necessarily. Right. Kirk Erickson is a researcher. He was I don't know if he still is. He was at the University of Pittsburgh. This is um, maybe seven, eight years ago, he published a study. It was a, a, a longitudinal study that I think did, they did over about nine years where they looked at elderly people and they did an fMRI and checked out their brain. And then they tracked them over time. And I don't remember if he assigned groups of people to be the groups that walked versus the groups that didn't. But suffice it to say, at the end of the study, the elderly people who had done more walking had retained more brain matter, more gray matter in their brain. And I called him and I said, why do you think this is? And he said it was from the stimulation of being out and walking and seeing things and feeling things and hearing things. I said, can you imagine what it would have been like if they actually were feeling the ground and they weren't in the stupid shoes? And he said, oh yeah, that would, that would have been a whole different thing. Exactly. I said, yeah. And on uneven surfaces. On uneven surfaces. Yeah. Because exactly. if you're barefoot, but you're barefoot on flat. Yeah. On flat, it's completely predictable. The stimulation to the feet is exactly the same all the time. It's so funny. I, I, I went into Costco this morning, and I love the Costco floors. I was barefoot. I love the Costco floors. They're nice and smooth and cool, but I like it even more when I get out into the parking lot, and it's all that extra, you know, all those extra sensations. And it's a different thing, but it's sort of like, you know, both of them are good. There's times where you want to get the stimulation. There's times when you want to rest. There's times where you want something nice and smooth and cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's look, there's nothing. God, I love my comfort, man. (laughs) You know, some people say comfort is bad and no, trust me. If I was to remove all and any comfort from your life, you would be screaming. Comfort is what we are naturally, evolutionarily, you know, it's part of psychology. We want comfort. Uh, Dogs want it. Dogs, you let them go on your couch and uh, they, they make it their own. And if you try to 
get them off the couch, they will start to be gnarly, you know? So comfort is great. Did you just call, did you just call me a dog without knowing it? Did I? <laughs> well, yeah, I do the same thing on my couch. Big mistake. <laughs> I'll try to be respectful from uh, Oh no no I have no problem being called a dog when it comes to being on my couch. I like my couch. Our couch it's uh, well, that's a whole other story. We, there's a great couch oh, story. We, we don't have a, a couch, but uh honestly if I lay down we have a nice uh, a nice bed comfortable and uh, I'm able to sleep on hard surfaces because uh, I've done that a lot for many years. I'm able to enjoy comfort. Comfort is another problem is how you manage Comfort. If you are constantly seeking comfort, ultimately you you lower your ability to handle discomfort, and that makes you uncomfortable. Well, there's there's another aspect to it that are, that occurred to me that's relevant for mine on the footwear side. So, the number one way that people try to sell two things, mattresses and shoes, is based on comfort. And ironically, they're trying to tell the same story. It's like here's all this padding. Isn't this great? And people. When people go to try on shoes, they put try them on in a store and they'll say something like, oh, this feels really comfortable because they like the cushioning or the texture of the material or the whatever. But in real life, those things aren't actually comfortable. Our product developer, Dennis, loves to say, if I asked you to do 20 push-ups, do you want to do them on the floor or on a memory foam mattress? And everyone says, well, on the floor. He's, well, why? It's like, well, because you get more feedback, you get more response. So, well, it's the same thing with your feet. If you use your body, that's actually more comfortable because you're more efficient. If you just put yourself on the mattress, you're going to get stuck in there and you can't really move correctly. And eventually your body reacts badly and it gets worse and worse over time. Same thing when you're doing the same thing in footwear. All that cushioning doesn't actually help. It just it feels good temporarily, but isn't good for you. And in the long run, it's going to end up being bad. And people go, oh, yeah. Question, Stephen. What if you were to tell people you got to do jumping, you know, like clapping yeah, yeah, yeah. push-ups? Would they have the same answer? Because you see, when you do a push-up, yes. your hand stays on the floor. They don't but take off. What, even what more. Like you basically have to land. Um, even more. It, it went, in fact, I was thinking that exact same thing. If you have to jump and land, it's the same thing. The cushioning isn't good because it makes you unstable and puts your joints in bad positions and that's where you're going to screw things up. I mean, the only way you get the feet, it's like when I tell people how to run barefoot, I go, take off your shoes and they go, but you sell zero shoes. I went, right, I know, take off your shoes. If you're going to, you know, if you're worried about the ground, that's why we make zero shoes, next best thing to barefoot. But the important part, take off your shoes, find a nice, smooth, hard surface and they go, well, don't you want to do it on the grass first? Like, no, hard surface, because you need to get the feedback to then develop the right movement patterns so that you find that that's actually really, really comfortable to do, more comfortable than running on something soft, because your body knows how to react to that and reacts to it better. And again, my favorite thing is when people say stuff like, yeah, but we didn't evolve to run on concrete. I go, have you ever been to the plains of Africa where the packed mud is as hard as concrete and the things that are packed into it are sticks and twigs and pointy things that are worse than any piece of concrete you will ever step on in your entire life? The surfaces we run on now are just a dream compared to what we evolved to run on. And I'm not saying that you don't want to, that you want to stay on the road all the time. Get off and play, jump on things, climb over things, jump over things, get on a trail. But so the idea that, you know, we, that somehow we haven't adapted to be able to run a marathon on the road is of course absurd. When I moved to the US in 2009, first workshops were uh, in that summer, 2009. And then, uh, I don't know if you know that, but I actually moved to Boulder. I did not know that. that. So that was from, say, you mid- call me? Nine to, uh, you know, we didn't know each other yet. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I think I've left uh, somewhere 
around January 2010 or something. Mm-hmm. So I just stayed there a few months. But I was where I was living was close to those, um, not the flat irons, but the other part. Anyways, I would go up there barefoot. Yeah. And uh, that, that's even before that was before the barefoot trend started. Right. And man, I was going and uh, I was going up and down, and people were just stunned. Oh yeah. I guess today more people have heard of that idea of barefoot running, but they still yeah, think no. that to be absolutely barefoot is like right. really radical and right. like near impossible. Oh no, I, I I hear it all the time when people when when as I'm running by someone when someone says you can't do that it's like I, I didn't you notice I just did it yeah yes. it, it's amazing to me that the whole the way I describe it is well, actually I'm going to back up and talk about Irene Davis again because she said it great at, at an American College of Sports Medicine conference last year the last question for this panel discussion about footwear that I was involved in. She said to the panel, which included people from Brooks and Adidas, she was, look, in the 60s, we were running in super thin-soled running shoes and playing basketball in Chuck Taylor Converse shoes. We weren't getting the kind of injuries or the severity of injuries or the number of injuries that we get now. So what problem were you trying to solve and why didn't it work? And you know, the other guys had no answer. And now it's been so long, it's been 50 years plus that people have had the idea that you need that you can't be barefoot, that you need shoes with motion control and art support and all the rest, that it's no longer marketing that people have to, that shoe companies have to do to convince you of this. We teach our children. We tell them that it's true. It's common knowledge. It's conventional wisdom. It's the way it is. And part of what, you know, you and I are talking about doing is not only breaking out of that, but it's not actually, it's not creating anything new. It's just reminding people of what they knew as children, what they experienced as children, what we all did up until like 50 years ago. And so on the one hand, we have a big challenge in front of us of combating hundreds of billions of dollars of corporate interests. On the other hand, we have the simple challenge of just all we're doing is reminding people, just asking them to wake up a little bit, which is way easier than trying to teach them some new thing that requires, you know, a whole bunch of explanation that makes no sense. You just said, Adam, which I agree with you is that, uh, we're providing inspiration and solutions in the term of uh, software, as I do, like the method for, you know, trying natural movement in term of hardware, like you do with your, you know, high quality, minimal footwear. And, um, but yet, you know, but we're up against corporate interest. Yeah. Billions and billions dollars industries. All right. So, yeah. you know, back to that Google thing, please check it out because okay. you wouldn't be surprised that the number one search engine has ties with those corporate, huge corporate interests. Oh, no, I'm to, suggesting it's simpler. To, I'm su- to, to, I, I, to prevent some alternative. No, no, I'm, I'm suggesting it's simpler. Found. No, I'm, my, my contention is that Google only cares about two things. One is giving people, and, and not necessarily in this order, one is giving people, no, actually it is in this order. It's giving people relevant results. And what I mean by relevant results is that when someone searches for something, they end up finding something 
that they, they'll click somewhere and they want to click on it, or they'll click somewhere, not find it, come back and click on something else, but they'll find enough relevant results that eventually they get to what where they want to go. But here's the key. Here's the caveat. They want the companies who are giving the relevant results to be paying for it. So things that used to be free, you now have to pay for. So the top positions in Google are now paid ads. So, and the side positions in Google are paid ads. They've actually taken the homepage and made it more about paid results than non-paid results. So it's not that Google is, is consciously trying to control the dissemination of information. It's that the information is being presented in a way based on who is able and willing to pay for those particular relevant results. So sometimes there will be corporations who are willing to pay more and they're going to get the results and the quote alternatives are not pushed down deliberately, but just harder to find because the paid stuff is what pays the rent for Google. And sometimes, depending on the search, it's the alternatives that are the ones that are providing more money to Google and therefore getting better results. And often, I mean, the problem that we've seen with both Facebook and Google is what's happened now is people realize that and they're willing to pay more money to say to get in front of people with things that are patently false. I'm not talking about alternative medicine or health, although that's one of the domains where this can happen. But basically, just people know that since, since Google wants to make money, all you have to do is provide them a way of making money and they will promote you more. It's really, it's, it couldn't be more, it couldn't be simpler in certain ways. And, yeah. it, and because That's, of that, couldn't be more horrible. That makes sense. I still believe that there are, I still believe that there are conspiracies. Oh, I don't, well, there, 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 like many. there may be, but look, but the simple thing is if Google were aggressively trying to do what you're suggesting, there are so many conspiracies and conspiracy theories and, and simply things that are factually inaccurate that they would have to track on a daily basis. It would require the entire population of America to do that. I mean, you know, the, the simple thing is if they really cared, the flat earth movement wouldn't exist. <laughs> So they don't care. That's not their yeah, goal. Well, listen, the flat earth movement does not sell anything. The people. Oh, oh no. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yeah, it does. There are people. Okay, listen, there's no. Listen, brother. There is no flat earth billion industry business. All right. However, there is the industry just for medication, whatever it is has to do with sure. health. It's so huge. Absolutely. Do you think that there's potentially, and again, I could be wrong. But there are ties between those interests. So. so much to sell and so much profit to make. Not again. Not the way you think. If okay. anything, because because as someone who's been involved in trying to market products, here's what I can tell you: a couple of things. So when we started this in late 2009 through 2010, 2011, I couldn't advertise on Google because I couldn't afford to because the big shoe companies who were selling things they called minimalist but weren't really minimalist were paying huge amounts of money for every click that they got. They were just sucking the clicks out of the universe, if you will, and I so I couldn't pay for them. Now Google didn't need to do anything for that. I mean, that was just the corporations trying to control the conversation and, and using these platforms to, to do that. Now, I don't think that the corporations per se have a relationship with, say, Google in that regard. But what happens is this. The more money you spend, the more you then get access to tools and ideas and information that allows you to spend more money. Okay. So how about, how about this aspect of conspiracy, simply to commercial conspiracy, is that Google won't tell you that their, the research, the, the results of whatever is biased based on 
pay to play. So again, not entirely, not entirely. And I, and again, I say I say this simply because I know guys who game the system all day long. No, so, no, but anybody who's going to go on Google and that's pretty much everybody to yes. search about say minimal yeah, yeah, yeah. views expect unbiased results, right? And they won't get that. According to what you said, they won't get that because I'm, some yeah. companies have paid and others have not. I'm just saying that the bias is a little different than what you think. And the and the the fundamental problem and look, Google is not Google. I'm not and I'm not pro or anti Google in this conversation. I'm just sort of, I just know some things about what they do and some things I don't know because mostly people don't know because they are always trying to balance these things of giving people the information they're looking for and paying the rent. And those, and sometimes those things definitely conflict with each other. No question. But, 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 but you did, you did, you did affirm yeah. that results, search results, results are biased. Well, they have to be based, based on who pays the most? No, 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 no. As a Google consumer, no, no, no. Sorry, it's not, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, who thinks about it? No, what I'm saying is, what you see on the home page, it has definitely has is being impacted by who pays the most. But that's not the entirety of search results. Okay. So there's the paid results and the unpaid results. Okay. And one thing Google has played with is how to make it clear that something is a paid result versus an unpaid result but not making it too clear. <laughs> and so, so it's definitely doable. The results aren't skewed by a bias for some particular thing. If but they do but, it by telling you it's a conspiracy, what's a conspiracy? It doesn't have to be something crazy about aliens. All it has to do is something that people do without telling you. Well, look, you live in New Mexico. You know that you're, we know that you're already controlled by aliens because you know everyone's coming to hang out by you. So that's, that's a given. So um, you don't have furniture. It's not that you don't have furniture because you don't want it. It's because the aliens came and took it. We know that. So we didn't talk about that in this podcast, but we know the aliens stole your furniture and took it to Area 51. That's common knowledge. So but more importantly, Anyway, you know, at least you and I are having a one-on-one conversation. It's like totally improvised and not like not planned uh, in any way. So hopefully, uh, your audience will be okay with that. <laughs> I've sure. never planned for a conversation. It takes too much effort. So well, for sure, I like to say this. I've always fought uh, before I even started what I do. Yeah, that I was up against uh, not a conspiracy necessarily, but at least. Uh, such layers and layers and layers of conventions and absolutely uh, what's what I call normalcy that is not absolutely. necessarily your friend. Normalcy is not your friend, the same way Terrence McKenna said culture is not, not your friend. So today's culture is what we call normal, is actually in so many ways beautiful and, and, and practical and like um, just very practical, but not normal. Uh, same time, it's in so many ways unhealthy, and we want to question that. And yeah. there's also lots of industry that just don't want change, don't want you know, there, it's uh, even alternatives, and that's what we do. So clearly, it's not easy, and clearly, it's such a, a fight or a quest. Well, I think I, 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 I agree, and I think, and I think there, there may be another way of playing it too. I want to back up to something you said before about. Uh, I can't remember how, oh, about kids and the physical education program in schools. I know that some of the influence on physical education programs has happened because of insurance problems. So for example, I know that when I was in high school, I was, again, I was a gymnast, so we had trampolines. And I know that there was a number of very high profile lawsuits where people made so much money suing 
the school or suing coaches or suing the trampoline manufacturers and trampolines vanished from schools. Now they're back in trampoline parks. And they, you know, so there's this sort of ebb and flow. But I know that a lot of what has happened in the physical education programs of schools has been dumbed down, if you will, because the schools are worried about getting their asses sued if they do anything that could put people in, it used to be just physically dangerous or, or harmful situations. Now it's emotionally harmful situations. Now they're worried that, you know, if they have kickball, that someone who gets picked last is going to sue the school because they were excluded because of, you know, whatever the hell it is. So what this leads me to is not, I'm not trying to complain about this. I'm actually thinking as we move forward, the question is, how can we align ourselves? And I don't know if this is possible. How can we align ourselves with the same people who have been controlling the conversation, if you will, in a negative way to demonstrate that this opportunity that we're presenting is actually positive, can make them more money, can save them more money, can be more efficient in various other ways? Because we know that it can. We know that it can reduce healthcare costs, for example. Now, again, there are people who have conflicting issues about healthcare costs. Some people who want it to go up because they make money on it. Some people who want to go down because it costs people. People who actually own the healthcare or you know, insurance, uh, health insurance. Maybe, maybe. I mean, again, there's a conflict. There, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying there's no conflict there. Yeah. But what I am saying, what I do think, is again, like when I started the, the, the podcast by saying this is a grassroots, groundswell kind of thing, I think that the message of natural movement is so screamingly obvious. Here, let's back up to the other thing I say. We're trying to make natural movement the obvious choice the way natural food is. So clearly there are people who make a lot of money selling processed foods that are not inherently good for people. Many of those same companies are now providing and promoting more natural food. Walmart is the number one provider of organic produce in the country. So while there are conflicts, when you know something becomes so obvious to a certain group of people that the movement, if you will, or the momentum is obvious to the, let's call them the powers that be for the fun of it, then they're going to go for the ride. Gluten-free was not a thing until you know com- big companies went, oh, there's people who, who are actually having issues with this and there's other people who aren't having issues but they're going to want to take care of this. We can actually get behind gluten-free. So no, maybe can, there's a way. We can definitely change the culture, uh, but it's usually the, the small players who do that. Well, and here we are. I mean, this exactly. is, yeah. um, I agree with you. For instance, uh, I just uh, came back. I was at an airport uh, recently and I uh, I just, I was hungry, didn't eat the food in the plane. And so I looked at uh, snacks and I was so happily surprised to see the amount of healthy or at least, you know, not alternatives in an airport, in a store at an airport. All I can think of was, okay, that has to do with uh, the paleo, the keto movement, all of that. They are just changing. A number of small players are changing yeah. the industry. Yeah, well, yes, because look, you put those products on the on the shelves. Either people want that kind of product. Or not. And oh, they don't. And if they do, it flies off the shelves. And right. when it does, then the people who manage those stores are going to order more, uh, more of the same product and more yeah. similar products. So basically... It's in the hands of the consumer. We always know that. It's yeah. in the, the consumer. And the consumers consume in relation to what they believe is the best, what they like the best, and influences that don't seem to be, that are not mainstream, at least originally, eventually may become mainstream. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm having these conversations is we're trying to just, you know, get more people thinking about what's natural and demanding, you know, it's funny, uh, not funny, haha, funny, annoying as crap, that 
when the minimalist movement started to wane, the reason that it happened was that the bigger shoe companies that were making products that they called minimalist realized that if they actually made minimalist products, it would make people, again, question the rest of their product line and could really jeopardize their business. So they started pulling out of selling minimalist products to stores. But then the people who report on sales data were saying, oh, look, sales of minimalist products are down. That means people don't want them. It's like, well, no, 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 no. You have it backwards. The big companies who are providing most of the products weren't providing as much, so people couldn't buy as much, so sales went down. So it was it was like a totally upside down bit of logic. And there was some reason that I brought that up, but I can't remember what the hell it was. Something having to do with just, oh, the consumer consumer behavior. The consumer is definitely controlling it to a certain extent, but there's got to be product available. There has to be the information available so that they can act on that, so that they, it can change the culture. It can change the conversation. It, ch- it can create a new, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say zeitgeist. They have a tremendous financial power yes. to just to stir things in the direction that is best for them and though it's not best for the people. They can pay um well they anyways preaching to the choir. Oh, no, I know, but it's fun to, it's fun to do it sometimes. It's definitely a fact. So yeah, they can totally afford to just not even commercialize any single pseudo minimal well, it's not going to happen like that. I mean, because again, it's this is a this is a, a big ship that we're trying to turn, but it doesn't matter because we got to turn the ship. And at a certain point, you know, the, there's critical mass. The ship has turned enough that it's now on a new course. And eventually, yeah, I, I hope that this whole idea of natural movement takes hold during my lifetime. I would love to see it come to fruition enough that it, be, it really does become something that is that is so obvious and practical and simple and and I don't even know what other adjectives I'm looking for but I'm also not naive I mean on the one hand I'm a 57 year old guy I don't know how many years I've got left in me things like this can take time on the other hand you know we've got the internet and all these other communication tools that are accelerating the dissemination of information and maybe it can happen faster I mean boy that would be awesome. And I don't even care. I'm not looking for it to happen so that it's, you know, Steven Sashin or Erwan who's, you know, it's like, look what we did. If Nike and Adi and Puma and all the rest, if they started making truly minimalist footwear that actually fit human feet that were actually good for you, I would be ecstatic. If we were just the people who catalyzed the change, I would be thrilled. I don't care if it's me or not. I just want to see it happen because it's the right thing. That's why I never called, uh, you know, my, my method, the liqueur method, right? I called yeah. it something else because my idea originally was, I don't care if people know me. I want people to, I don't even care if they, they know where it all comes from. It just want them to use the tool and to yeah. harvest the benefits in, the, in their own life to have a higher, greater quality of life. So it was never an, an, an ego thing. And by the way, it's been 10 years, actually more than I do have the 10 years publicly. And um, I could have released hundreds of thousands of videos. I haven't done that because it was never about like blasting people with my face and my voice and, and my persona. It was about promoting the mindset, the, the method, you know, the, the lifestyle, all of that to benefit people. That's a tricky balance. Um, but I, I believe in what you say. You know, look, I didn't start with a, um, a business plan, all right? I yeah. started with a vision. By the way, are people still listening? <laughs> if you do, if you do, I want you to do this. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking and uh, Stephen and I are going to keep talking. 
instead of looking at the screen, instead of looking at us, at me and, and Stephen. They may be listening without looking. Go, hopefully you have a window with some horizon, some distance. You're going to keep listening while looking at as far as you can. And I'm going to do that as I'm carrying it on. It's a vision. And the way I see a vision is I imagine a, a different culture, a different society where lives would be lived much more healthily. And yeah. that I would be one of the people to create that change in this, in this time we live in. And uh, what's a vision? A vision is not something that you hope for. It's not something that you wish. And it's not something that you believe in. Shocking. What do you mean? You have to believe in it. You have to hope for it. This is the way I see it is that this is something I know hmm. it is already happening. At what scale, at what pace is it hmm. going to evolve? This I don't know. Yeah. But to have change, you need to have more than hope or wish. And even it's belief, but it's, it's higher than belief. Belief in the sense when you know it's beyond belief, right? When you say, I believe in something, you may have some doubt somewhere. You may have some whatever, some restrictions, some limitations sometimes. Is this going to happen? Is it not going to happen? When will it happen? When you know you think this way, it has already happened. Mm. And I'm, I'm doing it. Proof. And then people are doing it. Proof. You are selling shoes. Okay. You're making products for profit. Beautiful. Because here's the thing, you are selling products that you have designed with the pure intention of not just make a living for yourself, but the pure intention of equipping people with truly healthy, functional footwear. That's the mindset. That's what you believe in, in believe in but that's also what you know because if your shoes are there, people yeah. wear them. People email you, say, just change my life, just changing my footwear. See, that's beautiful. It's happening. You know, it's there. So absolutely. My, my, my brother, my friend, you will see it happen because you can already see it happen right now. Just let's keep on pushing. Elena likes to say, cause she knows me very well, that the challenge for me as a human being is the gap between what's happening today and what I see. And it's true. And my, what gets me out of bed in the morning is trying to close that gap. And it's, yeah. it's a hell of a journey, but enough about me. If people want to find out more about you, and actually, wait, I want to say it this way. Before I ask you to tell people how they can get in touch with you and experience natural movement and MoveNet and you, you know, the whole thing about it not being about you, this is a really interesting topic for me. I never wanted Zero Shoes to be about me. The first handful of videos that I made I don't even remember if I had my face to say hi. I think I might have, but then it's just, you know, 10 minutes of my feet and um, which had some interesting repercussions, but enough about that. But what happened was people were, you know, for like the two seconds where it was my face saying hello, people would recognize me and something that I knew, but I was really trying to resist 
was that human beings relate to other human beings. And so I've made a bunch of videos, not because I want it to be about me, but because this is something that I talk about all the time and I want to share this information. And I know that people relate to human beings. Am I the best person for people to be relating to? I would never suggest that. Even if it's true, I don't know and I don't care. Even not for you, not for you to decide. Absolutely correct. correct. You know what you decide is to put yourself out there. I just I I do it because I do it to be in the arena by by doing all these videos. Actually, I believe I'm going to start soon to do that. The same. Well, here's my jo- here's my joke for you. Guys, it's not for us to decide if no, people no. are interested or if they like us of or course. if they like us or if they find our information, our insights relevant, our conversation relevant. Uh, well, you I know? like to I like to say I'm not personal, so. But, but here, here's, here's my joke about you. When you said, I haven't made a bunch of videos, my, my response is that's a shame because one of the things, because again, people like to relate to people. And in terms of what you're doing and what you're teaching, you are in fact the embodiment of that. And look, dude, you're one of those guys, you know, women want to be with you, guys want to be you. So, you know, you're such a great example of living what you're talking about that I'm going to encourage you to do more because- because it's, there's value there. I mean, there's value in just, in just having, like people already relate to you when they come and do courses, but the, the value is having the information have a focal point. And I would argue that you are a very good focal point. Appreciate, I appreciate that. And um, I must say that I've been bringing a lot, something that I'm going to start soon in that direction because uh, for 10 years, I've been basically extremely busy growing my team, growing my company having events worldwide, also having three kids, so, you know, and, and be actually be a real father for them, be there uh, changing thousands of diapers, uh, you know, just being there for them every day. And uh, then writing a book, like yeah. a, my book is like a almost academic level in the sense of the amount of information. And so, um, I'm looking forward to it. but I also can feel, and also I wanted to give some, some space and like give my team, my, my community a voice too, to just have that, uh, lifestyle and that example, that inspiration yeah. to be also not just in my hands, but to be in a, in a, in a, the hands of community. But at the same time, I realized that, um, I founded this, I started it, you know, some people start to call me the godfather of natural movement. You know, I won't disagree with that. And uh, I feel ready now to to put me a little more on the front line. Good. So that's Good. what I'm working on. Well, as you do that and people want to find out more, why don't we wrap this up by you telling them how to do that? Okay. So number one, um, well, since um, you are saying how do, how do you experience natural movement? So number one, experience natural movement. Uh, you've you've been actually experiencing it your whole life, except you didn't know it was natural movement. When you were a kid, you were crawling, jumping, hanging. You were doing all these movements, and then somehow along the the way, you were told that that was not the right way to exercise or a you know an acceptable way to behave in public and this and that. So basically, it was never the right place, never the right never the right time, and so you've lost that natural movement drive that you once had in you. One way to reignite it is just to um, to start practicing it again. And if you want information, tips, or even find people who can train you online or in person to find videos with examples, and um, you just go on movenat.com, M-O-V-N-A-T, M-O-V-N-A-T.com. It goes for moving naturally and moving in nature because even though we, we train a lot of people, you know, not in nature, because we got to be 
providing that, that training where people are when we find people. But we also train them in nature and we also encourage them to take the skills that they learn indoors or, or outdoors, but like in our, our urban environments, back to nature. We want to send people back to nature with the skills that were once truly universal and that today are not anymore. Good. Well, I hope people do take you up on that and do come and see you and experience what you're doing. I can't wait to, oh, wait, there's more. Hold on. You put your finger the up. Book. I wrote the book. Talk so, about the book. Jeez, you know, man. Don't make just, me cue you for everything. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, if you have a uh, vision and uh, reading skills, and <laughs> skills, I mean, pr- pretty much you can open a book and uh, educate yourself. And that book that I wrote is called The Practice of Natural Movement by Victory Belt. It's available on Amazon, but other you know, Barnes and Noble and all. It has everything. It has 20% of it is the philosophies, the manifesto. Why? It's not how and what it's it's not how you do it. It's why is it important to have that natural movement in your life? Why yeah. does it make sense? Because when you start to make sense and you agree with it as a like a truth, like a or at least a fact, a reality that makes sense to you, you're very much likely to seek the behavior that's that aligns with with that, right? People do bodybuilding, they do bodybuilding because they want to be big. So if they're going to do bodybuilding exercise because in their head they want to be big, not to be questioned or, you know, whatever. We're all here on this planet to to have a good life, to have the best life we, we can possibly have. It's the pursuit of happiness on our own terms. To me, if you don't have natural movement in your life, a movement in your life, something is really missing. So I wrote a whole book about it. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of techniques and tips and how to practice where it's highly practical. There's nothing nerdy in that book. And the best news is Amazon just dropped the 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 price to like $28 or something. Mm-hmm. Never personally ever had any control how much the book is sold for, nor does my publisher. It's actually all Amazon who decides that. So right now on Amazon, it's for $27. You have close to 500 pages of information. Awesome. That's also an amazing starting point. Good, good, good. Well, A, thank you very much. B, as I expected, this is a total pleasure. We're going to do more of this. C, let me just wrap it up for everybody else. Thank you all for listening and for being part of the podcast. As always, if you want to find out more, just go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's where you can leave some comments. You can find out where to find us on all the various platforms where podcasts are served. And, you know, as like I say, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe and like and share and all those things that you know how to do. Uh, is there anything else? Because yes, once we're, I'll say it for the third time in this conversation, you know our goal, making natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice. The way natural food is, you are going to be the ones who make that happen. You are the movement movement, and I want to thank you for being part of that. So enjoy and live life feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashen. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.